greet you this morning in the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. My heart is heavy this morning for the Graber family, and that is my prayer for them this morning, to be still, my soul. Death is always hard, but it can be much harder and is much harder when it's so unexpected. So I just ask that we be in, a, in an attitude of continuous, fervent prayer for the family. What a difficult year for them. What a difficult year. For a sermon this morning, you see we're going to be continuing in Galatians. And this section of Scripture, at the end of chapter 1, starting in verse 11, going through the end of the chapter, is kind of a biographical look at the life of Paul. And I have always been a fan of biographies. I love to hear about people's lives and how they got to where they are and, and what they went through. Because our lives, our biographies, are what God has used to mold us into who we are. As a younger man, I used to watch any night I was home, I would turn on A&E and watch the biography uh, documentary that was on each night. That changed when I started to date my wife. The nights became very full, but I got to start to know her life. And they didn't seem so important anymore. The biography shows didn't. But I always have enjoyed that type of information. I enjoy reading biographies and learning about people's lives. And, you know, through our lives, through the story of our lives is our testimony of how we came to be who we are, not only in our physical lives, but in our spiritual lives. And as we look at this text this morning, we're going to learn about Paul. We're going to learn about the author of this letter to the Galatians. We've touched on it in the introduction to this letter. But this morning we want to look at it in some more detail as far as what he went through in his life. What brought him, how God used him to become this most unlikely of servants. So if you would, you look at your Bibles, uh, starting Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 through the end of the chapter. Melody, whenever you're ready. The gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. 
and they glorified God because of me. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning, Lord. I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for the life of Paul. What an amazing servant of yours that he was, Father. God, I thank you for the life that he lived. I thank you for the miracle that you worked in his conversion, Father. God, I just pray that you would bless us this morning as we look at his life, as we learn from his life, Lord. Just guide us through these scriptures. Guide us through his life and help us to apply it to ours, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Paul opened this section of Scripture again by reiterating the fact that this is not man's gospel that he is preaching, that he is teaching. It's God's gospel. And he points out very sternly that he didn't receive it through seminary. He didn't mention seminary, but he didn't, he didn't receive it through education from man. It was a revelation of God. You know, my other... Uh, Occupation as a computer programmer, and a term we use a lot in computers is downloading. You download something to a computer, you download it from the internet, or you download it to a flash drive. What Paul's saying is that God downloaded this information into him. There was no other means except it was a direct download into Paul. And he says that to emphasize the authority of the message that he's bringing. Not that it's all about Paul, but it's all about God. And that's what he's emphasizing in these first couple of verses. You see in your outline and the sermon notes, I've divided this up also into three different sections. And the first section of the scripture we want to look at is before. And this is before Paul's conversion. And we want to look at exactly who Paul was. And at this time, he was known by the name of Saul. And Saul was an interesting fellow. And we're not going to read it verbatim, but we'll look, begin looking at Acts chapter 8, and where we're first introduced to Paul. And this is during the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr. And Saul was there. And not only was he there, but he was there giving approval to Stephen's death. He was very satisfied that this was going on. There were godly men there, we're told in Scripture, and they buried Stephen, and they mourned deeply for him. But Saul had no sympathy. He was relieved that Stephen was martyred. Probably not so much that he was martyred, because when you think of a martyr, someone dies for a cause, and they became, become even, the witness becomes even more powerful in their death than it was when they were ministering alive. But Saul was delighted, I think would be a probably safe word to use, that Stephen was out of his hair was one less of these Jesus people that he had to deal with. And what did he do? He fed off of this martyrdom of, of Stephen and he began to persecute the church. And this was, a, this was a deep, evil persecution. It was a determined persecution to get rid of these people who were following the way, who were following the way of Christ. He started going from house to house, the scripture says. He wasn't content in just a few. He was going house to house trying to find these people. It says he dragged off men and women. He put them in prison because of their faith. He wanted to rid the church of this cancer that he saw this as. What authority was Saul doing this by? Why did he have the right to do this? In his letter, again, to the Philippians, we looked at last week a little bit, but in chapter 3, starting in verse 4, 
Paul talks about where his authority came from in this time of his life. He says, though all myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. You know, when you read this, you think, Paul, you sound kind of full of yourself. Well, he goes on to say why. It says he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. By every description, by every trait you would put to a Hebrew, Paul was a Hebrew. He was a pure-blooded Hebrew. That gave him authority in the church. And then he goes on to speak of as to the law, as to the written law, the commands. He was a Pharisee. What he means when he says that he was a Pharisee, the Pharisees were a sect in the Jewish leadership. They were very stringent in following the law to the letter. That's what he means by calling himself a Pharisee. And he goes on to say, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He wasn't a Pharisee just by name. He wasn't a Pharisee just by his knowledge. He put his words to action. He persecuted the church mightily. Just as we talked about him going house to house and dragging these people out. He put actions to his words. And he was determined to do away with this movement. And he goes on to say, in, in reference to his authority, he says, as unto righteousness, under the law, blameless. He followed the law. He not only knew the law, he followed the law to the T, to the letter. Going back to our text in Galatians, in verse 14, he says, And I was advancing in Judaism by many... Hold on a second, sorry. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. As far as his peers, he was outdoing them by leaps and bounds. He knew the law much more vividly than they did. He had so much more zeal than people of his same age. We would call him probably today an overachiever. You can just imagine some of his co-workers, some of his peers are saying, Saul, back, back off a little. You don't need to work that hard. But Saul was a very disciplined man in what he was doing. We see in his writings that after his conversion, his conversion, he continued that discipline, but he focused it for the gospel instead of for the law. But you can just imagine his peers were saying, Saul, back off. Back off. You, know, you don't, don't need to do this much. Just do what's required. Don't go above and beyond. You make the rest of us look bad. I can just imagine what they were saying to him. I guess you could consider Saul as the darling of the Jews. He was the poster child of what the Jewish leaders wanted all of their people to be. To be this full of zeal, this fervent for the cause, for the law. And he goes on to say that so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. What's he talking about traditions? And it specifically says traditions. It doesn't say commands. It doesn't say for the laws of my fathers. He says traditions. You see, it was a very much a status symbol to follow the traditions of the elders. Jesus talks about these traditions in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verse 5. 
He says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law ask Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders? Instead of eating their food with unclean hands, Jesus replied to them, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. See, these traditions of men that Jesus was talking about and the traditions that Paul was talking about, they are rules made by men. They are passed down. And in many cases, these rules were passed down as a means of keeping control, as a means of keeping the authority. Not to bless the people, not to help the people, but to keep the people in bondage. How do you know if something is a tradition or something is, in our case today, a command of Christ? We're not under the law. We know that Jesus came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill it. So we know that we're not under the law, but we are still under the commands of Christ. So how do you discern the difference between a command and a tradition? One sure test is, is it based in Scripture? And yes, there are things in Scripture that... We don't fully understand because we're not God. We don't have 100% of truth. But we can test things against Scripture. And we can prayerfully take Scripture to, to God and He will faithfully show us what we need for the present moment. You see, often the traditions of our church, the traditions that we pass down, when we ask, well, where does that come from? Where does this tradition come from? Often, sadly, you'll hear, well, that's just the way it's always been done. And they don't know a scriptural basis for it. That is an initial test as to to whether or not it's a tradition or a command. And then we need to be in an attitude of prayer and diligently search the scriptures for what God tells us with these things. A friend of ours, a pastor friend of mine from Washington... In their church, for years during their communion service, they would put a towel over the communion bread. When they would set the table for communion, they would place this towel over the bread. And one day someone finally asked, why do we put a towel over the bread? And someone said, well, I don't know. It's just the way it's always been done. They got to researching it a little more and they talked to some of the older people in the church and they said, do you know why we put a towel over the bread? And they said, well, back in the early days of the church, before we had air conditioning, we left the windows open. And if you didn't put a towel over the bread, the flies sat on it. And it was logical. It made sense. It didn't make sense as to why once they got air conditioning, they continued it. But that's an example of a tradition, and it's not a bad tradition. There was nothing wrong with it. But it is wonderful to teach first ourselves, to learn the truth ourselves, then to teach our children to think critically and to seek to know why they believe what they believe, why they do the things they do. And I don't want to get too sidetracked from our main message here this morning, but I believe it's an important aspect of Paul's life because he points it out in Scripture here that he was fervent for the traditions of men. 
That was his drive, was to be all that he could be in the Jewish authority. Yes, it was under the premise that he was serving God and loving God, but in reality, it was all about Paul. It was all about Saul at the time. How, look how great I am. Look how diligent I am. Look at all the knowledge I have. Look how fervent I am. How much zeal I have in serving this cause. It was all about Saul is what it was all about. In our second point, in the second phase of Paul's life, the title is During. And this is during his conversion. This is at the point of Saul's conversion. And we look at verse 15. It says, When he, speaking of God, set me apart before I was born. From the time that Paul was knit together in his mother's womb, our sovereign God had a purpose for Paul's life. He knew he had a plan. And he had set Paul apart for this purpose. Paul goes on to say, He called me by His grace. Verse 16, Was pleased to reveal His Son to me. In His own time, in God's time, He was pleased to reveal His Son to Saul. He had some life for Saul to live. And He had a plan for Saul's life. And ultimately converted him and and changed his name to Paul. We want to look at this conversion experience in Acts chapter 9. And again, we're just going to kind of hit some high points of this scripture rather than read the whole context. But this is soon after the stoning of Stephen. And you can only imagine that Saul had a new fire. Finally, we're making some headway here. We'll maybe get this thing turned around. And as he left, he asked for letters. We begin chapter 9. He asked for some letters to give him authority to put these believers in prison. And he took these letters and he headed down the road to Damascus. Again, picture in your mind this evil man. This man who is driven to exterminate the people of this movement, of the way of Christ. So self-righteous, so self-centered, so hungry for power, so hungry for recognition, marching down this road to Damascus. What happened? A beautiful, bright light flashed before his eyes. And he fell to the ground, blinded. And he heard a voice. That voice was the voice of Christ. He said, Paul, Saul, Saul, why did you persecute me? Saul was completely overcome, if you can imagine the, the, the scene. And what does he ask? He says, who are you? What is happening to me? Who are you? Jesus responds to him, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. What do you think was going through Saul's mind? We know from the scripture that he didn't eat or drink anything for three days. It's like, God, why did you do that? You struck him down on the road. You told him to go into Damascus, look for this man. Why didn't you just take him straight to Ananias? Why did you let him sit for three days? Things stick when we have time to think about them, don't they? Our flesh has to be conditioned. Just like when we exercise. We talked about the physical last week. I believe this was all, I know that this was all part of God's plan. It was a time for Saul to reflect on who he had been persecuting. This man that he had been persecuting, 
had just miraculously appeared to him. This man who was dead had just miraculously appeared to him on the road, struck him blind, and sent him to a town to wait for three days. Can you imagine the thoughts that were going through Saul's mind? My whole world is upside down. What has happened here? Finally, Ananias went to him and fulfilled what he was told to do. We see in Acts 22, Acts chapter 22, verse 12, we learn a little bit more about Ananias from Paul. He says that Ananias was a devout observer of the law. This was a man who had some of the same traits as Paul, in Paul's eyes. This man who was telling him that you need to change your ways, this is what you need to do. He was also a devout observer of the law, and yet he believes in this way, he believes in this Christ. What does this all mean? Why did this scene have to be so dramatic? Why did God make this scene so dramatic? Why was the conversion of Paul such a miraculous occasion? Looking at it, what an amazing testimony it gives to the authority that God has given Paul. This wretched man, converted in such a miraculous way, had nothing to do with another man. It was the direct effect of Jesus Christ. What authority that gives, what apostleship that gives to Paul's ministry. And what authority it gives the letters that have ultimately been passed down to us today. I believe that was one of the reasons for Christ, for God's dramatic conversion of Paul. Another reason was for the same reason of those three days for him to think about it. This was a wretched, evil, self-centered man. By his grace, God knew exactly what Paul needed to open his eyes. Ironically enough, he closed his eyes to open his spiritual eyes. You see, God is a very personal God. He knows what each of us need to bring us to the point of decision, to bring us to the point of accepting Him as our Savior. And I believe that was another reason for this. That was Paul's conversion. Now we get a glimpse into the beginning of the rest of Paul's life. In the after, the after his conversion. Well, what did Paul do? Did he run to the apostles? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all the persecution. I'm sorry for what I did. I need you guys to teach me how to be a follower of Christ. Is that what Paul did? No, he didn't. And it wasn't out of pride that he didn't go. It was out of a peace in knowing that this God who had converted him miraculously on this road to Damascus, that this God was going to continue to minister to him and to teach him. In verse 16, Paul says, I did not immediately consult with anyone. No. He goes on in verse 17, and he says, nor did I immediately go up to Jerusalem to to those who were the apostles before me. No. What did he do? He went away into Arabia, he tells us. And eventually returned again to Damascus. After three years, 
he went to Jerusalem to see Peter. Three years. And sometimes we get impatient saying, God, I, I, I see, I understand the call that you have on my life, but what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do next? Where should I go? We wait days. Days turn into weeks. Weeks turn into months. We get very impatient. Paul's turned into three years that he waited. What do you think was going on in those three years? Well, he was over the initial shock. But he had to rework his thinking completely. Yes, the gospel was presented to him in a revelation. But unlike my computer analogy, when something's downloaded into our brains, often it takes discipline, it takes exercise to change our thinking. Is that what was going on with Paul? I don't know for sure. But I know he used that time to spend with God in prayer, allowing the grace of God to change his thinking. Because this was a whole new way of thinking. A whole new way. It was the gospel message that he was learning. And he had to learn how to get past his dependence on knowledge, his dependence on his authority, his abilities. Oh, how beautiful it would have been to be an intern, to watch Paul go through this process, to see God affect this change in his life. After the three years, it says he went to visit Peter. What does it mean by visiting Peter? In the NIV, instead of visit, it says he went to get acquainted with Peter. Basically, he went to get to know Peter. The root Greek word, in its essence, means interview, to interview Peter. He wanted to know Peter's biography. He wanted to hear how Peter got to where he was in Christ, to where he got to his position as an apostle. He wanted to learn from Peter's life. He didn't put his authority, his power in knowing Peter and having that relationship with Peter. That was established by his relationship with Christ. But then he also knew that he wanted to work with Peter. And as we go through Galatians, we'll find out that he gets pretty straight up with Peter. and talks to Peter about some issues that, that he sees. But he did. He built a relationship with Peter. And eventually built a relationship with the other apostles. Although he points out in this trip that he only talked to Peter and James. It's the only two he talked to. He didn't go try to make acquaintance with all the apostles and get in buddy-buddy with all of them. That wasn't his goal. I'm sure he didn't intentionally avoid them. But his purpose was to make an acquaintance with Peter and to get to know Peter a little bit. Because I'm sure Peter had questions. You know, in Peter's flesh, it's like, okay, God, this guy, Paul, he was a pretty nasty guy. But now he's converted and now he's going to go minister yeah. I'm sure Peter had questions. As, we, as I said, we, we'll get a little later in Galatians, we'll see how uh, Paul confronted Peter about something. Peter, Peter was human too. He had things to learn. He had trust to build in, Saul, in Paul. It was after this point, after he got acquainted with Peter, after he had this visit with Peter, that he began his public ministry. Started, it says he started with Syria and Cilicia. And he goes on to tell the people of Galatia in his letter. He says that I was unknown 
And he specifies in person to the churches of Judea. In person. He points that out to the Galatians. And he goes on to tell them, basically, unlike you, they simply heard and believed. And we talked last week about how they heard and then they were so quickly to turn away, the Galatian people were. And he's pointing out here that these people heard and believed. It stuck. And he's encouraging them to examine themselves. Why didn't it stick with you? What are you still struggling with? And he closes this chapter with the statement, they glorified God because of me. And what he's telling them is, they glorified God through my faithfulness. God used me. A very unlikely servant. Looking at Paul's life in review again, as Saul, he was a very wicked man. Self-centered man. He was miraculously and fabulously converted. His name was changed to Paul. He turned his discipline. He turned his zeal for the service of Jesus Christ. And what an amazing ministry God worked through this man. After his conversion, he didn't go directly to man to make buddies, to make relationships with those who were in authority in the Christian church. He turned to God. He sought God. And then he allowed God to weave him into the leadership of the Christian church. He didn't push his way in that way. Yes, he spoke with authority. But he allowed God to do it. He didn't do it under his own power, his own will. I ask you this morning, what is your story? What is your testimony? If someone wrote your biography, what would it say about you? I look at my life, and I look at my conversion. Some of you may have known me as a younger man. I know my aunts and uncles who may be here did. I had to think of Annetta Graver. She was our class sponsor from 7th grade through 12th grade, and it was during that time that I came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Before I came to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, I was a very emotional young man. Why was that? Because I was a very self-centered young man. If something went wrong, if I felt somebody was mistreating me because I was this poor little blind boy, I broke out in tears. And it was a way to get attention. It was a way to get them to treat me better. I didn't consciously think that, but it was a subconscious thing that happened. And when I came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that miraculously changed in me. I was able to rest and find my significance in Jesus Christ and not how people treated me. It doesn't always work that way for people. The things that you struggle with don't always just miraculously fall away. Again, God is a personal God. He knows what each of us need. That's my testimony. I ask you, what is your testimony? How how has God worked in your life? How is He using your life to minister? Maybe some of you are discouraged, despaired. You feel possibly that your past disqualifies you from ministry. How could your past be any more wretched than what we have saw in the life of Paul this morning. He was a murderer. He was an unjust judge. He had self-righteous ambitions. 
Sadly, I'm sure some of you have some pretty ugly pasts. I don't need to know those pasts. God has forgotten those pasts. He's brought you here this morning, and most importantly, He's brought you to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and He has a purpose for your past. Your past is the past, but He has a ministry for you that may be directly connected to your past. He has a ministry for you to utilize the things you learned from your past. This is kind of a facetious statement, but I ask you the question, were you converted as good as Paul was? It was drastic. It was dramatic. And this goes back to the point that maybe some of you weren't. Maybe when you came to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, it was some of the things that, that you struggled with didn't instantly fall away. But there's no doubt in my mind that your perspective toward those things changed. You had a new strength. You had a new hope. And Satan was there trying to chisel away at you with these things. But I pray that through the body of Christ, through prayer, through reading, that you were able to continue to achieve victory over those things. If you're here today and you haven't, I encourage you to take them to the Lord. Because God does have a purpose for your life. No matter how wretched you were, no matter how terrible the things that you did, God has a purpose for your life. He has an area for you to serve. You may be that most unlikely of servants. Paul wasn't perfect. In Philippians chapter 3, Starting in verse 12, Paul starts out in this section and he says, Not that I have already obtained this, talking about perfection, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And when he says forgetting what lies behind, he doesn't own any condemnation from it at all. Oh yes, what has, li- what has laid behind in his life has made him who he is today. What is, what is laying behind you in your life, God has used to make you who you are today. My blindness, God has used it to make me who I am today. It's part of my past, but it's not there for me to dwell on and to receive condemnation from. It's for me, it's to bring me to maturity and to teach me and to prepare me for his service. Paul goes on to say, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God has set you apart. Maybe not for the same purpose as Paul. There was only one Paul. There's only one Kevin Schwarzenegger. There's only one of each of you. But he has a unique and personal purpose for your life. Satan will try to bring condemnation and heap condemnation onto you because of your past. It is your past. It, is, it has helped to mold you and make you who you are today. 
But remember, the logic of despair is broken by the miracle of grace. By the miracle of grace, your past is forgiven. Remember that God uses circumstances to mold us, to teach us, to prepare us. Look at the life of Paul. He was so fervent against the very thing that he was now, after his conversion, ministering, preaching, and teaching to the people. Do you think it seemed hypocritical to the people? Depending on how willing they were were to dig in and to get deeper and to understand why he changed. But if they were willing to look at his life and to inquire into why he's teaching the things that he's teaching, no doubt they could see the power and the miracle of the grace of Jesus Christ. And if it could change this persecutor, if it could change this wicked man and turn him into a man of love and to a man of peace, to a man of pure justice, what could it do for a wretch like me? What could this gospel do for me? We've seen this morning how the life of Paul changed not only the people of this time period, but affected generations for thousands of years to come, including ours. Who is God looking to minister to through your testimony, through your biography? Are you willing to lay your life out there, to allow your life to be an open book, to confess that the things that you've done before you knew Christ, maybe even some of the sins you've committed since you've been a professing Christian, are you willing to lay those things out there and say, hey, these, this was sin. This is how God delivered me from it. This is what I learned from it. And this is what I want to teach you. This is what God wants to teach you from my mistakes. Not to condemn you, but to love you. What a powerful ministry each of you has when you are willing to lay your lives out, for God, lives out for God and to be a servant. And no one knows each of us better than we know ourselves. Except God, I guess. But as far as individuals in this world, no one knows you better than yourself and you know your wretchedness. You know where you've come from. You know where you need to go. You know where you're going by the grace of God. Be willing to share those experiences with people. Be willing to be open with people. Be willing to walk alongside of people. To minister to people. You have a powerful tool in the testimony of your life. I encourage you to use it.